the future is not preordained. We're, we've been dealt a, a hand. We accept that. We will do our best to play that hand and make sure that our future is ordained the way we view it to be ordained. Welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's special compilation episode is dedicated to new graduates. In it, CEOs share the career wisdom they swear by and the advice they wish they'd had. Subscribe to Meet the Leader wherever you get your favorite podcasts and make sure to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lacina, and this is Meet the Leader. If you keep an open mind to it, you often uncover places you can contribute more than you may have expected. We're coming up on graduation season, and young leaders from around the world will make their first steps into their new lives and their new careers. This can be as exciting as it is nerve-wracking. And to inspire and comfort this year's crop of new grads, we've assembled stories and advice from past guests on Meet the Leader, as well as past sessions from the World Economic Forum Annual Meeting. CEOs from companies like Boston Consulting Group, Deloitte, and more will share what surprised them about their career paths, what really helped them navigate difficult, unexpected times. Their stories of resilience, persistence, and innovation can inspire anyone embarking on a new life and wondering exactly what they're capable of. We'll get started with Deloitte's Puneet Renjan. Today, Puneet is the CEO of Deloitte, a professional services network with offices in more than 150 countries. As a kid growing up, though, no one pegged him as a future CEO. Knowing these perceptions helped him, though, helped him follow his own path and not allow himself to be typecast. Here's Puneet to explain more. At age 18, if you had lined up all, the, all of my friends and you had asked people who would be successful in life, successful being defined as professional success, I don't think anybody would have pointed to me. And I mean, that's the truth. At age 18, I was the one that uh, people pointed to and in soft voices say, well, what's going to happen to that poor Puneet? And I, I wonder what his parents think about that. And at some level, I knew that I needed to get out of that. And, and the Rotary Foundation scholarship that I got uh, really changed my life. Uh, it gave me an opportunity to come to the United States, came uh, sight unseen to Oregon, never certainly been overseas, never been on an airplane. And it uh, gave, me a, uh, gave me a perspective, now looking back in retrospective, that life is a marathon. Today, uh, if you look at professional success, in that group of friends, all 18-year-olds, I'm doing pretty good. You had dropped out of pre-med, realizing that it just wasn't for you. Can you talk a little bit about that decision and what it taught you about persistence and just moving forward in the direction that you need to go? You know, when I was growing up in India, if you were good in mathematics, you went on an engineering track. If you were not good in mathematics, you went on a medicine track. I went on a pre-med track and realized very quickly that the AI, I didn't do well with looking at blood and cadavers and dissecting small animals. And again, if you had lined me up with all my friends, I would not have been the one that people pointed to because all my friends were either going into engineering school or into medicine, and I decided uh, that I would go a different path. I mean, the learnings, again, for me, in retrospect, is that if you were to make uh, a call at that point in time, and you accepted what people were saying about you, and typecast yourself, you know, I would have ended up completely different. I refused to do that. 
at some level. There's only one of you. And what you will see in life is there'll be ups and downs and keep trying to do what, what you get satisfaction out of. Here's another learning that I've, I mean, I never thought that I was going to be with Deloitte. I was not a very sophisticated individual early on. Uh, I remember coming uh, to the United States and one of the first uh, friends that I had, she was committed to being a doctor. She's now a very successful doctor. I think people who know exactly what they want to do in life, they're very lucky. I think most of most individuals really never focus on what makes them happy and they go through life. I'm in the middle where I fell into a profession and I taught myself to love it. And that's been part of why I've been successful professionally. If you're in that first group, I think you are blessed. If you know exactly what you want to do, please go follow that and, and put the world on fire. If you're in that third group, try and teach yourself to come into the second group and like me, learn to love the profession that you find yourself in. Jack Ma is the founder of Alibaba, but at the start of his career, he famously applied to and was rejected from 30 different jobs, including one at Kentucky Fried Chicken. The experience gave him special insight though into learning how to pivot and also the true value of the first boss. Here's Jack talking at the 2019 annual meeting. The first job is the most important. Not necessarily a company that has a great name. You should find a good boss that can teach you how to be a human being, how to do things right, how to do things properly, and stay there. Give yourself a promise. I will stay there for at least three years. So normally I say when you're 20, 30 years old, you don't know what you do. You have a lot of ideas. You think you can do anything, but you actually you can do nothing. So you follow one person. <laughs> follow one person. When you are 30 to 40 years old, if you really want to try to do something yourself, try it. When you're 40 years old to 50, just to focus on the things you're good at. When you're 50 years old to 60, enable young people to do better. When you're over 60 years old, spend time with your grandchildren. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. Right? That's the life, normally, like that. In 1983, Rich Lesser was a chemical engineering student graduating from the University of Michigan. It was the worst economic downturn since World War II, and he'd say later that it was as if the world was frozen in time. That 21-year-old wouldn't have imagined a number of experiences he's had since, including his many years as CEO of Boston Consulting Group. Here's Rich Lesser, now Boston Consulting Group Global Chair, on being willing to go beyond your major and your expectations, and the advice he'd give himself. I would say three things. The first is the critical thinking skills are even more important today than they were back then. That of course you come out of college with a lot of knowledge, but what matters less is the knowledge that you have than your ability to think critically about issues and continue to learn and to grow and to build new skills over time. And that, you know, you can feel really proud of all you've learned in a college education. That's something to feel great about. Yeah. But if you think that that means your education is done, you're sorely uh, mistaken. The second is that it's all about the ability to work in teams. Of course, you want to be a strong individual contributor. Each of us should be looking to put in more than we get back in life and in our jobs. But that at the end of the day, the real progress 
is made in teams and particularly more diverse teams where you bring people with different backgrounds and perspectives and geographies ideally uh, that you go further faster you have more challenge more critical thinking collectively and the ability to push things forward and the third is the incredible role of technology and how rapidly it's reshaping the world and that all of us whether we have a technical degree or a non-technical degree have to build some degree of comfort with technology how it applies to the areas that we're focusing our own careers on and and how we use it to make a positive contribution in the world and build our own skills over time and whether that's ai or digital or synthetic biology depending if you're in the life sciences world or what will in not so many years we'll be talking about quantum computing and the potential that it offers like we all have to recognize how much technology is marching on in a fast and relentless way. And if we're going to contribute to our fullest potential, we have to have some understanding of that and some comfort with it. I don't think there was any one experience that caused me to be on the road to being a CEO late in my career or being involved in climate or, or getting involved in other topics. It's about having a sense of exploration and a commitment to finding ways that you can make a distinctive difference. And each one of us can. But what that means for each one of us is a different thing. And we have to therefore be open-minded and have a little bit of a sense of exploration and curiosity and creativity and spark, even as we get very deep into our careers to figure out what next might be and how we can step up and try to make a difference in different ways. Al Gore has spent the past four decades dedicated to public service and the climate. He served as a U.S. congressman, senator, and vice president. And thanks in part to work from leaders like himself, Progress is taking shape for the climate, though there's still much work to be done. In January, I asked him what he'd tell a younger version of himself. Here's what he said. Oh, gosh. Uh, I started working on the climate crisis 45 years ago. If I had it to do over again, I would have started earlier. <laughs> so you'd tell him to get working. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is look, it, it is... Uh, to, to turn this around and look at it a different way, Linda, I, I think that those of us alive in this extraordinary time should see it a, as a privilege to have work to do that will determine the future of our civilization. It, it's really the case. And, and there's a sense of joy if you have work that makes you feel as if it justifies pouring every ounce of energy you have into it. We don't have time for despair. We don't have time to get depressed. It's an all hands on deck time. We need to solve this crisis. We can't look away from it. We can't pretend that it's not as deadly serious as it is. We can't pretend it's not getting worse faster than we've yet begun to solve it. I don't know if I could go back and do things over, I would just uh, start even earlier and put even more energy into it. Audrey Choi is Morgan Stanley's chief sustainability officer. She had a non-traditional path to working at an investment bank, having worked as a journalist and also in public policy. And she came to Morgan Stanley in leadership development. But she saw an opportunity, a way of thinking for the climate that could create a larger flywheel for change she'd wind up inventing her own role. And her story is a critical one for anyone looking to make the most of their unique talents and to make their mark. 
there was an incredible person at Morgan Stanley who was the chief talent officer. And she asked me to come join the firm, not because I had a traditional human resources background and not because I had a traditional banking background, but frankly, precisely because I didn't, to, to work with her around talent management and leadership development. And very quickly, what I kind of said, well, look, my differential abilities here and the skills or different views that I'm bringing to it is having worked in policy, having worked in journalism, I think that what could really enrich the model of how we think about leadership is really thinking about in that broad ecosystem. And how do we also think about the impact that the business that we do is having on communities? How do we think about the impact of our business on the broader ecosystem and the interactions between public policy, reputation, community development, and all of those things should really be a part of how we understand what it is to be a leader in finance, and of course, what it is to be a leader at Morgan Stanley. And what I ended up really pitching was saying, you know, really, if we want to be building the best possible leaders for Morgan Stanley, but also for the industry, it really should be about how we understand all of these things holistically. And actually, the more I thought about that, the more I realized that it really went both ways. It wasn't about just making us better leaders by thinking about these things holistically, but really thinking about where could finance play a distinctive, incredibly important role in some of the, the biggest issues that we are facing where finance could really be a part of harnessing the capital markets to help protect the environment and strengthen um, communities and really drive economic opportunities. And that the way we would be able to do that most significantly was actually by doing it as part of the business. So from the very beginning, I said, this is not about corporate social responsibility. This is not about philanthropy. This is not about reputation building. But fundamentally, this is where can we leverage the business by doing what we do as a business to advance these and to align with these these broader goals. So that's what actually led to the fact that in 2008, I essentially pitched that we could form this thing called the Global Sustainable Finance Group, whose mission would be to harness the capital markets to protect the environment, strengthen communities, and create opportunities. And pretty amazingly, I think that Morgan Stanley, again, in late 2008, actually approved that. And so we announced the formation of that group in early 2009. And again, for any of our listeners who remember what was happening in the world in terms of the financial crisis, that's a pretty extraordinary time, I think, to plant that kind of a flag, a pretty big leap of faith. I also asked Audrey how anyone can be a leader, regardless of their job description. Here's what she said. You know, what people have to remember is if the only thing you're ever doing at work is doing what you're told to do, First of all, you're not adding as much value as you could be, right? And also, whatever you're being told to do is probably what people have always done and always expected out of that role, right? And that what your value is, is what new perspective do you bring? And how can you think about doing something different? And so, again, which is not to say disobey your bosses, right? But I'm saying, you know, how can we th we think innovatively about how can we do this even better? Um, and I, you're right. I mean, I, I totally believe that, especially with regards to sustainability or impact of any kind, it's not just the people who have that in their title who should be doing it, because if only those of us who have it in their t our title do it, we'll never get anywhere, right? Everything that I do, I only you know, have been able to succeed in because I've been able to enlist my, my colleagues and partners. Frankly, in climate change, one of my greatest partners is the chief risk officer right, of, of the firm, right? He has been an incredible convert, student, and leader now in this. And I wouldn't have been able to do any of the things that, that I've done around, on behalf of the firm around net zero and climate change if it hadn't been in partnership with all of our business leaders. Any change worth making requires a lot of people. And uh, you, you got to really be, be building those bridges, enlisting others. And so that's why I just think you know, if anyone sort of 
says, I want to have impact, but that's not in my job description, they should be a little bit more creative about how they define their job description. Thanks so much to all of our guests for sharing their insights with the World Economic Forum and with Meet the Leader. And thanks to you for listening. Find a transcript of this episode, as well as transcripts from my colleagues' podcasts, Radio Davos and the Book Club podcast, at wef.ch podcasts. If you liked this week's episode, please let us know. Take a moment to rate and review us. We'd love to hear from you. This episode of Meet the Leader was produced and presented by me with studio production by Gareth Nolan. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.